Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. From remotest antiquity, the conflict between spiritual authority and secular power has always summoned forth great prophetic voices. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland, and this is The Leader's Notebook. I'm so glad that you've joined us for this episode of The Leader's Notebook. Last week, I had an introduction to my forthcoming book of Kings and Prophets. I read, as a matter of fact, the foreword to that book written by Dr. Charles Stanley, and today I'm beginning a series of teachings here on The Leader's Notebook based on that new book. I hope that it will be a blessing to you, and I also hope that you'll get the book. I want you to have it. At the end of this podcast, the announcer is going to tell you how you can order of Kings and Prophets. The book will be released uh, sometime in October, but I want you to have the book now. We have them here at The Leader's Notebook, and we'll get them to you uh, straight away if you'll go ahead and order, and they'll tell you how to do that. But I, I want to begin today talking about this issue of the conflict, which is inescapable when there is prophetic authority and secular power, political power, but not just political power, cultural influencers. When the prophetic voice of individuals and of the church corporate confronts those of huge politics, power, influence in the contemporary world, that friction is always going to be there. In the course of a university lecture on the nature of revival, I was recounting some of the negative and positive results of the Welch Revival. I mentioned that despite excesses and mistakes that were made in the Welch Revival, they were 100,000 people were converted in one year. Missionaries were sent around the world. The local society there in Wales was deeply impacted for good. I offered it as one example uh, the corroborating statistics that arrests for public drunkenness in Wales dropped by 50% in the first few weeks of that revival. When I was recounting all this, telling this, one uh, student immediately raised her hand and kind of angrily announced, I haven't heard anything about this. Why isn't this on the news? She, she accused the, the liberal media of refusing to report on a revival like this in Wales. I was, I was embarrassed for her and I didn't know what to say. I, I, it was awkward and I didn't want to make her feel foolish. I needn't have worried. I'm sorry, I said. I, I may not have made it clear. Please forgive me. This revival happened in 1904-1905, and I started to go further with an explanation. I just assumed she cut me off. She said, well, good lands, Dr. Rutland. Why are you even talking about this? We don't care about a revival that happened in 1904. That's not why we attend this class. Tell us about revival now. 
Anything that happened in 1904 is irrelevant to us. That's what she said. To be faithful and generous to her classmates, I'm not sure that she spoke for all of them. I will say this, none of them actually rose to contradict her. They seemed instead to be waiting to see if I had an answer to what she obviously felt, and perhaps some of them felt as well, was the end of my credibility. I mean, 1904, really? I suggested to her that if a revival in Wales a mere 120 years ago was irrelevant to her life today, the upper room must have absolutely no meaning at all since it happened 2,000 years ago. She reluctantly conceded that the point had some meaning, but only partially. She claimed, well, the Bible is different. Indeed it is. But such dismissive chronocentrism as hers is unfortunate to be sure. Some, however, and this is infinitely worse, make the same argument about the Old Testament. They have a sort of that was then, this is now attitude toward Genesis through Malachi. They point out that the people in, in those Old Testament books were ancient pre-Christian Jews who lived thousands of years ago, and therefore, why should our understanding of who Jesus is in our life today have to even consider such an irrelevant backdrop? These people cannot seem to see, however, that the predictable extrapolation of that reasoning will be disastrous. A New Testament without the weight of an Old Testament will inexorably lead to a non-biblical contemporary Christianity free of that pesky, irrelevant New Testament. In other words, if we jettison the Old Testament and read only the New Testament because it's irrelevant, why not jettison the New Testament because it's irrelevant? Unfortunately, even those not quite ready to jettison the entire Old Testament want to at least lighten its load by dropping some of it in favor of the parts that seem more relevant to them. They say, or at least seem to think, what can Leviticus and Deuteronomy mean to us today? They are often particularly dismissive of the prophets. Others, however, are in favor of keeping the prophets, but want to choose the prophets carefully often hoping for passages of Scripture that reinforce their political persuasion. These folks quote the prophets whose messages are in agreement with what they believe or will buttress their own political argument. Which brings us to the point of the book that I've just written. I did not want to write a biographical sketchbook of the prophets. Those have been done and been done well, and I, I appreciate them. Nor did I want to zero in on their messages alone, just what they had to say. What I was after and what I hope you will receive in this book is a fresh look at one particular aspect of the prophet's ministry. What happens when a prophet arrives at some intersection of history 
at the same time as one of the kings. That flashpoint is what I want to explore in this book. The ridiculous quicksand of contemporary vocabulary has made it virtually impossible to use terms such as truth and power. It has become popular to speak of one's truth. Somebody says, this is my truth rather than the truth. Shouting down a speaker, hijacking a meeting by screaming obscenities at the opposing viewpoint is now called speaking the truth to power. The prophets, however, actually did speak truth to power. They spoke real truth, not their truth, God's truth, not some mulligan stew of popular causes. They spoke real truth to secular power, not some easily intimidated politician trying to get reelected. These were kings, emperors, if you will, with life and death power. All they had to do was snap their fingers and those prophets would have been killed. The prophets spoke to kings, real kings, whose word was law and could have ordered them executed in the blink of an eye. The prophets, though not perfect men, were incredibly courageous. The kings were, however, extremely human, and therefore many of them extremely flawed. Their power was unchecked. There wasn't a Congress or a Supreme Court. They were they were potentates. Therefore, their flaws were magnified. The more powerful a politician is, the more powerful a political leader is, the more powerful are their sins. Some of the kings, such as Ahab, were idolatrous murderers. Others were merely unprincipled narcissists who despised being told the truth. Some incredibly shallow but incredibly passionate movie star spouts the accepted party line relative to the cause of the hour, and she is hailed as courageous. She goes to the Academy Awards or the Emmys, and she, she says what is popular with the people in the room, and she is considered a heroine. Few seem inclined to point out that virtually everyone in the room already agrees with her at whatever awards ceremony where she is, fearlessly saying what would make her even more popular with her colleagues. That is not speaking truth to power, and it is certainly not prophetic influence. Consider, however, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus of Nazareth. He was, by any reasonable definition, a great prophet, a colossus, if you will, who stood with one foot squarely in the Old Testament because he spoke to the coming Messiah and one foot squarely in the New Testament because he said the Messiah is here. Not unlike his cousin Jesus, John was beloved by the masses and hated by the power brokers of his day. Surely the religious leaders of John's day were bound to be delighted at the tsunami of genuine repentance and holiness of life and heart. Surely those in positions of religious power would want the hearts of the people turned dramatically back toward God. Surely. No, they didn't. 
All but the most naive know that there was never going to be a friendship between the prophetic authority and power of John the Baptist and those that were in contemporary religious leadership. Those with the most religious power of his day had the most to lose, and they were not going to surrender it to some wild man waist deep in the Jordan River. When John spoke to that mob, he spoke truth to power. The religious leaders of his day hated John the Baptist, but we can see from Scripture that it's unclear if they actually had the power or a robust plan to kill him. Herod Antipas, however, was a different matter. Herod needed no plan. All Herod had to do was snap his fingers. Herod Antipas was the puppet king of Israel whose throne was propped up by the sustaining might of the Roman Empire. His power was relatively local, but it was locally absolute. Herod Antipas was a dangerously weak, incestuous egomaniac and the son of Herod the Great, who was also a genocidal, homicidal maniac. The Herods were a dangerous and psychotic family. John knew all this. He was not deluded. He was courageous. John the Baptist called Herod Antipas out for his incestuous marriage, so-called, to his own sister-in-law, the wife of his brother, Herod Philip. John denounced this, publicly denounced this wickedness in high places, and he did it in no uncertain terms. And Herod immediately threw John in prison. John might have languished there or even ultimately been released had it not been for the hateful machinations of Herod's wife, so-called Herodias, and the erotic dance of her daughter, who is not named in Scripture, but whose name we know from the uh, Jewish historian Flavius Josephus. He tells us it was Salome. Herod was a lunatic from a family full of lunatics, but Herodias was not exactly Mother Teresa. She basically turned her own daughter into a porn star in order to see John the Baptist's head on a platter. I heard one preacher say that John underestimated the fury of a woman publicly denounced for what she was. That is not true. John was not confused, nor was he naive. He was not some unsophisticated primitive who mistook how far he could go with impunity. He was a prophet, and he was courageous. The Old Testament prophets were a rare breed and their spiritual blood flowed in the veins of John the Baptist. The DNA of the prophets is powerful stuff, but it is not the key to popularity with ruthless power brokers. I want you to have this new book. It's called Of Kings and Prophets. I believe it'll be a blessing to you, and I believe that you will want to send it to people that you know and care about particularly leaders, Christian leaders, and those who are in political and influential places in the modern society. This book is called Of Kings and Prophets. Right now, at the end of this podcast, someone is going to tell you how you can order this, about how to make a pre-order on my new book. 
This book will be released in October all over the world, but I want you to have it through the Leader's Notebook. I'm glad that you joined me for this podcast today, and I pray that you'll be with me next week as we continue this series on the Leader's Notebook. Until then, this is the Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. To order a copy of Dr. Mark Rutland's new book of Kings and Prophets, please visit the store at drmarkrutland.com. Enter promo code KINGS30 to receive 30% off of each book or call us toll-free at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.